Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. The 1-0 Atlanta Falcons are back in action this Sunday against the 1-0 Green Bay Packers, who looked mighty good offensively in Jordan Love's debut as a starter. To help me break down this matchup and go into all of the juicy storylines, I will have Mike Wall, the former NFL left guard who played a long time in this league, guys, for the Green Bay Packers, for the Seattle Seahawks, and for the Carolina Panthers. That's right, we got a rival in the building this week, but the Falcons will welcome in their rivals from the North, the Green Bay Packers, for a really fun showdown. So Mike and I are going to be breaking all of that action down for you guys on today's podcast. But before we get into that, football is back and Bet Online is the number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on stats, news, and odds. Want to see how your bets are going throughout the afternoon? That's right, BetOnline has you covered. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Okay, before we get to my conversation with Mike about this game, I just wanted to touch on some of the injury situations for both teams. So recording this Wednesday evening, which means the first initial uh, injury reports are out. Cordero Patterson was a, uh, a full participant on Wednesday afternoon, which is, of course, a great sign for the Atlanta Falcons and for his availability um, this weekend. Also, a positive note, Jeff Okuda was a limited participant uh, for the first time since sustaining that ankle injury um, in training camp. So the Falcons are kind of getting healthier with two key guys getting back into action in, in a much more serious way for Cordero. That that seems like a great sign. And Godwin Iguabuque being waived, uh, obviously was elevated before Sunday's game was an indicator that Patterson probably wasn't going to go. So the fact that they waived him and, and that Patterson is a full participant, great sign there. One injury to note for Atlanta that is new. Troy Anderson uh, is in the concussion protocol. The reporters in attendance today in Flowery Branch tweeted out basically that he had showed up at the facilities not feeling great, not feeling uh, like himself. And so out of an abundance of precaution, they have entered him in the concussion protocol. So we will see where that goes um, from there. On the Packers side of things, we have uh, Rashawn Gary, Elton Jenkins, Anthony Johnson Jr., the safety Um, or excuse me, Anthony Johnson was a a full participant. Romeo Dubs were your three limited participants for Green Bay on Wednesday. Both Dubs, uh, Rashawn Gary, Elton Jenkins, they, you know, Gary was a monster (laughs) against Chicago. I I think he had like 10 pass rush snaps and he had five hurries. So even though he was limited there, 
take it from me. Uh, he looked pretty, pretty dang effective uh, last Sunday. So those guys are all limited. We'll uh, continue to monitor. But then some big ones here that do not or did not practices for Green Bay. Aaron Jones, electric running back, had the huge kind of touchdown catch um, against Chicago, and he injured his hamstring on that play. Seemed in the immediate aftermath like it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, you know, I have talked to some people who have said that, you know, he felt as though he could have come back into the game had he needed to. He obviously didn't. So even though he didn't practice on Wednesday, who knows? There at least it seems like more so than with other hamstring hamstring injuries then maybe he could give it a go on Sunday, and he is a big difference maker for this Packers offense, as we will get into here in a second with Mike. Then we've got Quay Walker, who had that pick six um, in the game, and he is he did not practice with a concussion, so he's in the protocol as well. Christian Watson also did not practice as he is nursing that hamstring injury. So some big players for the Packers did not practice on Wednesday as the Falcons minus Troy Anderson seem to be getting a little bit healthier. So that is obviously trending in the right direction, but we will see what the Falcons, uh, who they have available and then who the Packers have available for a big matchup on Sunday. I mean, this really could, you start out two and zero, and people start looking at you a little bit differently. If the Falcons can beat a, a good Packers team, I think at least they looked pretty good on Sunday. Again, it, it was against the Bears, but I was really impressed with their play in the trenches. Um, their defensive line in particular, I really thought controlled that game. And then you've got some X factors, guys like Jaden Reed, uh, Romeo Dubs is, is one of them. What they can do offensively now in this, um, how this offense is designed, I thought Jordan Love looked very confident in this offense and operating in this offense. So this is going to be a really, really fun and exciting matchup and a nice early test for Atlanta. Obviously, they will head to Detroit after that. So these two games back to back and geez, man, then we got Jacksonville. I thought the Falcons had an easy schedule, everybody. That's what they've been telling me. These next three are going to be a lot of fun. So let's get into my conversation about the next one against Green Bay Packers with Mike Wall right now. I am very excited to be joined now by Mike Wall of On the Block with Amon Green and Mike Wall. Mike, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So, you know, two teams that are one to know, two young quarterbacks, but I really think coming away from the uh, Packers opener against the Bears and, you know, just knowing how Atlanta wants to operate down here. The trenches, I think, is going to be a big, big part of Sunday's game. And so I just wanted to start off and get your thoughts on the Falcons offensive line, you know, given your 11 year career uh, in the NFL on the offensive line. You know, what do you make of this group? Who do you like? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, usually you would say Chris Lindstrom. I thought for the last couple of years, he's played an extremely high level. I did a, I did a, a piece on him last year on the Block Party podcast where it broke down why he's he's just one of the players that's kind of the best of the basics of the position. And therefore, he's just one of the best players at, at the right guard or any guard position in the National Football League. But he had a really tough game against Derek Brown and company yesterday. I mean, compared to, compared to his standards, or not yesterday, but Sunday. And uh, I, I would expect him to bounce back and have a good game. But I think that Kenny Clark of the Green Bay Packers is much better than what he faced uh, last Sunday. So I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup. Um, I like the new kid Bergeron. I don't know how good he is immediately, but I think he's, you know, long-term, I, you look at him and say he's going to be a starter for a number of years on the offensive line. I think you have problems 
uh, especially going against the Green Bay Packers uh, at the tackle position. You know, quite honestly, Caleb McGarry is going, you know, he thought Brian Burns was bad. Well, Rashawn Gary's coming in this week and Rashawn Gary's every bit as explosive, powerful, fill in the blank as anybody he's going to play this year. Um, Preston Smith on the other side, or he's, you know, he'll switch over to play left defensive end. He'll give him fits as well. Enig Bari has been playing at a high level. Hollins is playing at a high level. Um, Van Ness, the rookie, for the way that Gary sets, because he turns so early, it's so easy to get his his shoulder pads and chest to the sideline. Lucas Van Ness could have a really good game just pressing the pocket on him. So hmm. I think that's going to be a matchup problem for them. They're going to probably have to protect him a lot like they did later in the game for the second half uh, against the Carolina Panthers. And then you look at uh, Jake Matthews, and I know he's been in the league for a long time. Um, I thought he struggled just as much as, as, McGarry, as McGarry did last week. He just was very fortunate that the quarterback saw the rush coming. No, there's, there's a, a Vinny Testaverde taught me something a long time ago. And it was that if you're going to lose, lose early because I can see the guy coming. If you lose late, I got no chance. Right. So uh, Jake lost enough times early where Ritter could go ahead and and solve that problem, escape the pocket, get rid of the ball, et cetera. But he loses a fair amount um, in, in every, in every game that I've watched over the last couple of years. And I would just think that, both those guys might struggle against the the pass rush, the defensive end pass rush in particular, the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And I'm glad you brought up Rashawn Gary because he was the player, um, you know, even including Aaron Jones, who I think just like jumped off the screen to me. And I know he was in there for only a, a limited number of snaps in, in week one, but I think pro football focus and everybody can take that with a grain of salt, but they had him listed as like 10 pass rush snaps and five pressures on just 10 pats. So like, obviously a 50% conversion rate. Uh, he is so, so much fun to watch. And Kayla McGarry definitely struggled with Brian Burns. I give credit to the coaching staff and Arthur Smith obviously knows offensive line play for being able to come up with ways to protect his offensive linemen. And I think that you have seen that uh, the last couple of years with Jake Matthews, with Kayla McGarry, certainly, but you're right. The, uh, the test is going to be extreme on Sunday because they they've got just so many guys, so many great pass rushers um, in Green Bay, and and they've added another one in Lucas Van Ness, like you said. So uh, let's flip it around to the other side though, real quick, and and talk about your impression of Jordan Love in his first mm-hmm. start. And was this truly a, a little bit of a different offense, uh, like people were expecting? Now that you know Jordan Love is running the show instead of Aaron Rodgers. Well, you look at the final score, and you look at the you know the stat line, you know. I think 15 to 27, he had three touchdowns, no picks. I forgot what his pass rating was, but he was like, I think he was near perfect on third and fourth down. And that's always kind of a convoluted um, uh, algorithm that they figure out, you know, to, to make sure that a guy who doesn't have a perfect completion percentage has a perfect pass rating. And I don't quite understand <laughs> it yet, but, but yeah. he, he, he did what he needed to do. I think the, the big takeaway though has to be that until Jordan Love can make the right reads and hit the right throws, at the level of uh, a Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, then in the interim, we're going to have to rely heavily, heavily on Aaron Jones. He's the most dynamic player that we've had for the last couple of seasons. Um, our offensive line is is good. I think Zach Tom coming in at the right tackle position has really solidified that offensive line. And I think they're going to continue to develop. I think this weekend is going to be a really interesting match. We'll probably talk about it later in our interior versus Grady Jackson and company. But we have two young tight ends. Um, off the charts athleticism from Luke Musgrave. Tucker Craft's not far behind. We have some dynamic second-year uh, wide receivers. Obviously, brought in Jalen Reed as a, as a first-year guy out of Michigan State. Mm-hmm. So they're like the pieces are there, but it's just not quite there yet. 
And I think the same thing can be said with Jordan Love. He's got the escapability. He's got the processing speed. He's got the arm strength, but it's just not quite there yet. Just very much like Desmond Ritter, I'm sure you think. But until that that time comes, I think what was interesting is that, and I kind of saw this watching the Falcons the first half, is you're not really sure what they want to be. You don't really know what their identity is because they kind of, they try some stuff. They run into some problems that, you know, we we ran some like jet sweeps on third and fourth down that you're just going, why are we running horizontal? This doesn't make any sense. (laughs) This isn't who we should be. Um, And so we just kind of got back. We started the game five carries for Aaron Jones, walk into the end zone uh, on a great pass from, from love on a double move for Romeo Dobbs. And then he doesn't get the ball for the rest of the half until the second half they come out and they go, oh, yeah, we forgot about him. You know, yeah. He touches the ball six, seven times in a row. We get another touchdown. The game's over. So we're just trying to figure things out right now. And, and, and I'm sure it feels the same way in Atlanta. But when you have that young quarterback, you got to really look at who are the what are the strengths of our teams? If it's our offensive line in the run game, don't go away from that. Just accentuate that until they get better. Identity is the perfect word for it. And, and you're exactly right, right in the first half of that. Falcons game, it, you could feel in the crowd energy, right? Everybody came in mm-hmm. expecting, they've, they've been hearing it all offseason, you know, this is going to be one of the most interesting, fun offenses we've ever seen. It's 10 to 10 in the at halftime, and it's kind of like, what is, what's going on here? This, this isn't what we were promised. Drake London doesn't have a catch. Kyle Pitts has like one catch at this point, so I totally get what you're what you're saying there, and I do think Ovi Mihaly and I, my uh, co-host, like to talk about how you know, the first month really of the season can be so misleading for teams and I do think a big part of that is coaches have all offseason to come up with all this stuff and they almost have to get it out of their system before you find out what actually works and what doesn't work and then you build your identity as a team um, around the stuff you do well but I'm glad you brought up Aaron Jones because you know he is the identity right like of this team and, and should be for the foreseeable future what can you tell me about his status and a couple of the other banged up um, Packers kind of heading into the week well, I don't follow the injury report too closely. I know that he had a little spider bite on his hamstring, and I think they held him out for <laughs> precautionary reasons. I mean, we're, we are in the same boat that the Atlanta Falcons are. I'm talking about the Green Bay Packers, and that we have A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. are both two last year. I think last year, really towards the end of the season, they're both playing at a Pro Bowl level. Now, the guys that you have are – B. John Robinson is just amazing to watch. I mean, they're both – Algiers very good as well, but mm-hmm. – you know, you have that one-two punch. You can even put them at the game at the same time. We started doing that a little bit last year as well. And, you know, for me, it's it, it just turns into how do we utilize both of – on both sides of the ball, for, for the Falcons and for the Packers. Whatever team figures out how to utilize that weapon, because that is the singular weapon that you can point at on both teams, that your guys can run the football. The offensive line likes to run block better than they pass block. The running backs are, are extremely talented. We have, I think we have the same kind of thought process up in Greenby. It's like, how do we find a way to get those guys the ball in the most obvious advantageous situations? And yep. Aaron Jones is going to be out there playing. I don't know how many, you know, you just don't know how that all plays out with those, those super athletes. I was a, you know, we're, you know, our offensive line are dump trucks. So they just can't <laughs> put gas in us and yeah. just keep moving. But for the elite level athletes, you know, I'm sure he'll start the game. We'll see how it plays out. I, yeah, I was so impressed with your offensive line. I mean, just the the pulling, the power, the the kind of um, double teaming at the point of attack, and and the running backs. I mean, the both teams. You're right. Like the these guys, these coaches, the identity of the offense flows from the run game, and and that is what makes it so much fun. And even like one of the things that I was so impressed with uh, in the second half is Atlanta used its running backs to kind of attack Brian Burns. 
right? Like, and that's obvious because the screen is, is one of the easiest ways to like slow down a pass rush, but they almost played him like he was a free blitzer, like a hot blitzer. And they would have plays aimed to go like just right past him to the running backs. And I thought that was ingenious. I, I know the Packers like to do the same thing in that the backs are such an extension of their passing game and, and really big weapons. Um, so I'm so excited. For the Packers defense against these running backs, and you know, I I do a disservice to Kyle Pitts and Drake London not even really bringing them up when when we're talking about weapons, but mm-hmm. they're going to be a factor in this. I have to believe. You know, I, I would not be shocked if Drake London is getting two or three targets on, on the first drive, depending on how long that extends. Obviously, but who on this Packers defense? Do Falcons fans? not know at this point or, or maybe not know well because there are a lot of household names on this Packers defense mm-hmm. but who will they know by the end of Sunday uh well if they don't know Rashawn Gary I bet you they know who, who he is <laughs> listen you talk about Drake London though and, and Jair Alexander is one of the baddest dudes he in the so National is. Football League and if if Falcons fans are thinking that Drake London's going to come into this game and all of a sudden have this offensive explosion. He very well might. He's a super talented kid. I loved watching him at US. I mean, I can't wait to see what his career. Having said that, Jair Alexander is a bad dude. He, you know, he's <laughs> top two cover corner in the league. And if if Jair Alexander decides that Drake London's not going to get a lot of uh, uh, you know the touches this game, it might not happen because you don't really have you know a Patrick Mahomes type quarterback that can just fit it into the tightest of boxes. So. You know, Kyle Pitts is gonna is is a different story we could talk about. But the other guy you're gonna you're gonna know because Kenny Clark doesn't have a lot of uh, stats. You know, he's he's played a nose tackle for a, a large part of his his career. He'll obviously line up at, at the two hour the three technique and nickel. He's a guy that can beat guards and centers one on one really really badly. He gets into the backfield a lot, and I'm just talking about moving humans a yard, two yards back behind the line of scrimmage. You guys had a problem with that just in general with Derek Brown and company last week. So I would say Kenny's going to do, you know, I would imagine Kenny's going to have a game where he gets some penetration. He might not end up with a tackle, but he ends up making the play, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, he resets the line of scrimmage, basically. And and that's that's what this is all about, right? Is, Is the offense wants to move the line of scrimmage two or three yards down the field. The defense wants to move it one yard into the backfield. And yeah, I mean, Kenny Clark, I've been a big fan of his uh, for a while now, and he does that just as well as anybody. But let's let's flip to the Falcon side and talk about kind of their interior, like you brought mm-hmm. up earlier. You know, Grady Jarrett, I thought David Onyemata had a pretty solid game. Um, I don't know if the Falcons pass rush uh, overwhelmed me in the sense that I had hoped in week one. I know they mm-hmm. brought in a lot of guys, a lot of veterans. Bud Dupree is a really interesting looking pass rusher to watch. Uh, he's He's kind of fun um, in the way he likes to set up his moves, but what's your take on Atlanta's revamped defensive line? I guess, starting with some of those interior guys, which I would say is still the identity of that defensive line. Yeah. Grady Jarrett has been one of the, my you know fan favorites for me for a long time. Uh, I just love the way he plays. Uh, he's still doing it at a really high level. Listen, when you watch the Falcons now, like if I was sitting in the offensive uh, meeting room, I would say if they're willing to match nickel personnel to, you know, 21, 12, if they want to stay in, find a way to keep them in nickel. Because when, when you go to your base defense with your three down linemen 
and your two outside guys. Mm-hmm. It is a it's a real problem with Clayus Campbell, Grady, Onamada in there, and then you have Bud Dupree and company on this on the ends. You didn't see when you watched the Carolina game, they absolutely clogged up every single run situation they had when you had your base defense in there. But when you go to nickel, because the defensive linemen are not huge and you can get those double teams, the Atlanta Falcons do this really interesting thing where, and particularly with number 44, Troy Anderson, he loves to shoot the gap as soon as he diagnoses the play. And in theory, it's a really good deal because everybody's at the line of scrimmage. But if you can hang on those double teams and then meet that guy and he doesn't, you know, change that reset that line of scrimmage you saw the big plays in the carolina run game come when those guys decided to shoot gaps and you, yes. you'd mean that you'd run double doubles but everything was out of nickel defense so if i'm the atlanta falcons i'm trying to figure out how to get into base defense or at least run some version of a jam front or something where i'm gumming up uh the interior offensive line and getting those linebackers to free up a little because every time they shoot it's like a coin flip or whether or not the other team's going to go for seven, eight yards. I God, I love that answer, Mike. Thank you so much because I've been trying to put my finger on exactly that to articulate what I saw in, in week one because I, I kind of couldn't figure out these leaky yards. It's like the back hit an inside gap and then there's six, seven, eight and, and a missed tackle because Troy Anderson is kind of reaching from behind, misses it. It's like, yeah, guys just weren't squaring up the running back. And it did happen on those plays where they were trying to shoot these gaps. And, and sometimes you see somebody jump in and make a huge tackle for a loss and, and time it up really well. Um, there was a play I'm blanking on. Maybe it was uh, TJ Edwards for Chicago who kind of knifed in and, and did really. I, that's actually something I think Chicago did well against y'all was kind of mm-hmm. those outside zone plays. They, they got into the backfield fairly quickly. But is there any concern on your end um, about Jordan Love and what we just saw Jesse Bates do? to Bryce Young. Obviously, Jordan Love is is a different cat. He's He's been in the NFL mm-hmm. for, for two full seasons, so he's had that experience that, that Bryce Young hasn't. But you know, Dan Orlovsky said it himself, like the, the unit that he was really impressed with kind of this week that he didn't expect to be was Atlanta's defense because of how multiple they were, what Jesse Bates allows them to do. What did you see from uh, from kind of the secondary and then the, the totality of Atlanta's defense from kind of a scheme standpoint? Yeah, well, I'll just back up for the scheme, you know, even when you were in nickel, you saw a couple times where they brought either either uh, either Troy Anderson or uh, Ellis down to the line of scrimmage. And they ran kind of that that that's that 31 or excuse me, that like 51 look and they brought a safety down. So you can run that front out of nickel. And I think I mean, it was clearly more effective just from stopping the run, which I think is going to be a big part of the Green Bay's offensive game plan. But going back to Bates. I mean, he had, I think he had four picks and like eight passes defended last year. I mean, he, the guy's a really, really good player. And the thing that showed up, especially on that first pick, the second pick, you're just kind of going, well, he's a rookie. He's making a bad throw. Yeah, and yeah. he made a good play, but it's a bad throw. But the first pick, the way that he's starting out outside the opposite hash. And that was, I mean, that's a play that he, he shouldn't have made. But he obviously, I did the, I did the formation, I did the personnel the route tree, it's like the processing speed that it takes for Jesse Bates to see that in front of him and then break on that ball before the quarterback's even winding up was just super impressive. He's been doing that for, you know, as as long as I we've been watching him. He's a really talented player. And we still have issues in the passing game because of young quarterback, young wide receiving core, 
extremely young tight end receiving group now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're not throwing quick passes to Aaron Jones or AJ out on the side, flat route screens, et cetera, like everything else that when we're running our deep digs or we're not running our go routes, Christian Watson, because we don't really know his status yet. Like anything in the middle, you got to start going, well, you know, these safeties for Atlanta, they do a couple of things. They play extremely deep. So there's a lot of space, like in the pockets and the sideline in the middle of the field. But Jesse Bates is one of those guys that like you can't trust him if you're playing quarterback. Sometimes he just sneaks up and makes a play that you're not expecting. And, you know, sometimes that stuff happens. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but it did seem like a lot of in-breaking routes for for Jordan Love in week one. Is that more because Christian Watson Watson wasn't in and that downfield outside element wasn't there? Or is that kind of the well, this offense? You you know, I I think every every week you're gonna get a game plan based on what you're what the defense is showing. True. And and then if you have a guy like Christian Watson who just happens to be, you know, six five and runs a four two eight or whatever, (laughs) then you go, okay, maybe we'll stretch the field a little bit more with him. Right. But generally speaking, Jordan Love has every throw in his uh, quiver. Like he can make any throw on the field. He's got a really strong arm. He's got good footwork. But I think what they're trying to do now is let's just pick out those seven or eight combinations of plays that he really likes. And then how many formations can we get into that? So when you're seeing those crossers and those digs, you're, you're probably, that's probably a consequence of right now, the coach feels the most confident calling the plays for him. I think as, the year goes on, I would imagine that expands as far as we see a little bit more leveling of, you know, outside the numbers throws and, and, and whatnot. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. Uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, all right, Mike, two more before I let you go. One kind of fun mm-hmm. and then one last one about the game. But the, the fun one first, you spent a long time in the league. I'm just curious, mm-hmm. you know, who was maybe the toughest person that you ever went up against um, in your time as a left guard? I always say John Randall. John Randall was Ooh. at his yeah, John Randall was at well first a Hall of Famer, yep. you know, the best the best in the business at the time. He was at the at the peak when I entered the league in 1998. When I entered the league in 1998, we used to play in the old uh, Viking State in the old Metrodome, and they would joke that the the Green Bay Packers were throwing hot off the three technique all day because he was unblockable. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm coming in from an option offense, not really knowing how to do anything, playing you know starting year two at left guard. And I'll never forget in the first third down against Minnesota and, you know, John Randall reads the, uh, reads the player bios. And so he knew my nickname was Beagle after Ronnie Beagle with the Naval Academy. And so third down and eight or whatever it is, we're sitting in the huddle. And I just hear, I just hear this Beagle, like he started chanting my nickname and I, and he's staring at me and he's obviously telling me like, it's going to be a really bad day for you. You know? And I looked, I turned around and go, oh, yeah, I'm coming for you. And I went, you know, turn around and went, Oh shit. You know, like <laughs> here we go. But John Randall was um, John Randall was so good that he would beat you on his first move. He'd spin back into you on a second move and then he beat you on the third move. You know, it was he was a, as unblockable a player as I've seen in the National Football League, except for maybe, you know, I throw I have to throw out names like Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt. I, I mean, anybody else I don't know that compares to him as far as body size, explosiveness, just, you know, leverage and really really good with his hands and footwork i mean he was he was an amazing athlete uh yeah i mean i'm looking at at that 1998 uh season was the end of a a six-year run uh as a uh an all pro he got two defensive player of the year votes that year Mm -hmm. um hit the pro bowl i mean obviously like you said in the hall of fame got 137 and a half career sacks that is a great 
Great answer. All right. So last or last question here for you, Mike. Packers win this game if. Packers win this game if we don't turn the ball over. And that's simple. Yeah, I I think so. I, I just don't think just watching Atlanta's offense, you know, we have eight first round draft picks on defense and, and they have not played up to standard. And we're, we kind of saw at the end of last season that the the reason that they weren't playing up to standard is because of the defensive coordinator and the calling. It wasn't because of the talent on defense. Um, Darnell Savage is a first round draft pick who didn't work out a corner. And I, he was my player of the game last last uh, last game because he had 10 tackles, five solos, and he really set a defensive tone. He's 195 pounds soaking wet, runs a 4-3-8, but he, he just looked like he was shot out of a cannon on every single play. And if we can get that that kind of tackling production from our safeties, then it's just going to be a question of do we turn the ball over or not? Because I, I honestly, uh, I love watching those running backs, and I love the way you guys play offense because – for me, it's old school, right? Like you guys might be calling 13, but you're really in like 12 personnel or 21 all day because I can't call Kyle Pitts a tight end. <laughs> right. But I love the way you guys play offense. Um, I love watching those running backs, but I just don't know that you can score enough points to keep up with just the way that Green Bay plays uh, because I think that the strengths on the defense that you have, I think are going to be uh, good matchups, or at least not not too disadvantageous for the, the Green Bay Packers. I think the offensive line of the Green Bay Packers should uh, should have a pretty good day this week. Yep, I, I'm kind of right there with you with a lot of that. I do think, you know, we were saying that the Jesse Bates turnovers pretty much is, mm-hmm. is the reason Atlanta won that game against Carolina. And I think the Green Bay is a totally different animal. Now, everything changes week to week. And one of my favorite things about this team under Arthur Smith is how even against the best teams, you know, you you go back to, I know Kansas city was under Raheem Morris, but that started kind of a two year stretch. And the next year was against Buffalo where the Falcons kind of played really well against the best of the best. And they've carried that over with, with Arthur Smith and they just find ways to be really in close games against good teams. And I would expect another one on Sunday, even though you're right. I, I look at the talent and kind of the ceiling of all of the units. And there is a better path in my mind for green Bay to, to emerge with a victory in this one. Yeah. You, you never know. That's the fun thing about the game though. I mean, Atlanta's a tough place to play. They play extremely hard. I mean, it's it, Atlanta is one of those teams that if you haven't watched them and you watch them for the first time, you're going to immediately like them, you know, especially mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. an old school player, you just like the way they play ball. You like the energy, you know, they just have a, a way about them. You can, it's very clear how, how the head coach Arthur Smith wants to wants their team identity and what their team culture is. And for that reason, I, I root for them. And I, and I think they're going to be a good football team. And I think they're going to do well in the NFC South. I just happen to like, I agree with you. I just happen to think that right now, just from a pure talent standpoint, Green Bay is just a more talented team right now from top to bottom. Yeah. The Falcons are hoping their roster looks kind of like this in mm-hmm. maybe a year and, and a half, two years. Like, even though they've yeah. come a long, long way, yeah, the the Packers, because of Aaron Rodgers and having stability in that way, have really been able to build up their roster in kind of a fun, interesting way. Mike, this was so much fun uh, itself. I really appreciate you taking the time. You know so much about football, obviously, um, because you've dedicated your life to it. But um, please let our listeners know where they can find you if they want any more Packers info. 
Yeah, MikeWall68 on, on Twitter, Process to Perform on Instagram. You can check out our On My Block podcast uh, on, on YouTube on our Process to Perform channel or just anywhere you get your podcast. Hey, I do have one question for you. And yeah. it's a hard question, but I do want to ask it because I'm, I'm super curious. Kyle Pitts is a, is a very mercurial, unique talent. When you draft him, you know, I'm sure you go, oh, he's a tight end. But then, like, at this stage, are the – what does the organization feel about that draft pick right now? Because he's so he he literally can't block or he's unwilling to anybody. He, so talented. I just don't understand how defenses aren't going to just, you know, continually look at him as a slot wide receiver. And has that changed the value proposition for him in the eyes of the organization or the fan base? I think the the best way for Kyle Pitts to uh, change that kind of value proposition is to almost kind of do more of what he did on that one play against Carolina, which is make be a freaking incredible slot receiver, right? Mm-hmm. Like if if he's that, then that's what you signed up for is is truly a transcendent mm-hmm. type of slot receiver with a big body, you know, like a Mike Evans slot. But the team has also said they feel like they that he improved as a run blocker and in pass protection last year because that's kind of how they had to use him. Whether you see that or not, I I may trust you a little bit more on on that than the company line. Um, but this is a big year for Kyle Pitts. I do feel as though if if he's not the unicorn at, more often than not this year then I wouldn't be surprised if this offseason there is a little bit of a group huddle about, all right, like Atlanta fans, let's collectively decide what's going on here with Kyle Pitts and how we feel about it. I just don't know if they're, we're there yet, but this right. year will be the deciding factor for me. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's easy. He's a, he's a, there's, a, there's an increasing amount of players like him. I think he's, mm-hmm. he is a unicorn in his, his physical abilities, but it's, he's very, they're very, very difficult, as talented as they are, they're almost, they almost play themselves out of a position. Yes. It's, it's an interesting proposition. It's my issue with Isaiah Simmons in Arizona. I loved him coming out of Clemson, yep. but then it's like, what do you, what do you do with all of this? Cause on the right. play, you can only do really one thing. And, and so it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's fascinating, but Mike, again, this was awesome. Please let me know if I can ever return the favor. Absolutely. Good talking to you. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast, which as always was presented by Bet Online. Thanks again to Mike Wall of On the Block. Please go check that podcast out for any more Packers related news analysis before Sunday's game. Again, I really, really think it is going to be a fun one. And I think this whole season is going to be fun. You know, I know that in the immediate aftermath of the Falcon season opener, people were kind of like, all right, what was that? Do we celebrate this? Is it... Um, you know, a positive win with some glaring concerns. What do we do? What's Desmond Ritter? I, the more I get some distance from that week one, week one games are always weird. Look around the NFL. A lot of weird games last Sunday, but the Falcons came away with a two touchdown victory when a lot of these teams that are kind of bunched up in the middle were in some very, very close games against one another. And so I think that the Falcons proved that they or at least a little bit of a cut above. At least that's what I'm choosing to take away from week one. And I hope that that continues this weekend against the Packers. But that will do it for me today. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Please follow me on Twitter if you'd like, at Will McFadden. Go check out our YouTube channel, same name, Believe in Falcons. Subscribe where you can, uh, wherever you like to get your podcast, and spread the word as the Falcons continue on what is hopefully a magical season. Check us out bright and early Monday morning. Ovi and I will be back 
to break down how this matchup unfolded. But until then, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.